slicing through Argentine football like a knife through hot butter. Welcome back to Hand of Todd. Gentlemen, to episode 173 of this very old podcast. When I say it like that, I've now got more Hand of Pod episodes recorded than I have unread emails in my um, <laughs> inbox, which is surely some kind of historic moment. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I am joined by regular guests Peter Coates Hello. and Andres Bruckner. Hello. And by a very special guest, and uh, new, by the way, for 2015, regular member of the Hand of Pod email chain, at least, uh, and hopefully. <laughs> more frequent visitor as a result, uh, Jonathan Gilbert. John, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me. We've got somebody who's actually been to a real-life football match this week, (laughs) because John was at Huracan um, in the Copa Libertadores last night. We'll talk about that later. Before we get going, we have to remind you, as ever, that uh, alcohol is being provided for us by the fine folk at the Argentina Independent, which is a wonderful source of English-language news from Argentina and across Latin America. You can read them free of charge at argentinaindependent.com. Thank you very much to our sponsors. Cheers. I'm raising a glass to you, although you can't see it. Um, Let's get on then, first of all, with the regular, or what's going to become regular, very rapid rundown of the 15 Primera matches that have happened since we last recorded in this ridiculous new league. Uh, Let's go to Rafaela, lost 4-1 at home to Banfield on Friday evening. That was the only match on Friday because the Afa are idiots. And then on Saturday, Huracan beat Arsenal 1-0 behind closed doors. Apparently. I didn't realise that when I was watching it, but there we go. Uh, Estudiantes beat Godoy Cruz 2-1 in La Plata. Rosario Central beat Tigre 2-1. Olimpo de Bahia Blanca drew 0-0 with the Champions Racing Club. Venice Sarsfield beat Crucero del Norte 2-1. Lots of 2-1 home wins. I didn't realise this when it was happening. Uh, San Martín de San Juan and Gimnasia La Plata drew 1-1. Independiente and Sarmiento drew 1-1 in Avellaneda. That one was funny. Aldo Civi uh, lost 1-0 at home to Newell's Old Boys. Nueva Chicago and Union, two of the newly promoted sides, drew 2-2 in a very entertaining match. River Plate and Quilmes drew 2-2 in a very entertaining match. Colón and Argentinos Juniors drew 1-1 in a surprisingly not all that bad match. Uh, Tempele lost 2-0 to Boca Juniors Lanús drew 0-0 with Belgrano de Córdoba and Defensa y Justicia lost 2-1 at home to San Lorenzo mm. those are all of the matches um, major talking points gents can anybody remember any? it's hard to remember anything because uh, one of the worst things that this monster of 30 teams has is you don't get to watch any every game mainly because they are in some cases, three at the same time, which has makes... happened on Sunday. Yes, Independiente versus San Miento, Aldo Civi versus Newell's Andway, but Chicago versus Union all kicked off at 5 p.m. Uh, that'll become a bit less of a problem when we get out of the summer months and the players' union and now the, the matches to kick off earlier and we got the two o'clock kickoffs back. But um, it's bloody confusing. I, I was able to watch pieces of, of each match, so I think I, I worked, I finally ended watching 90 minutes of football after all. In, uh, comp- uh, taking into account all matches so. hmm. uh, but yeah I know roughly 
I managed around 180 because I managed to watch two of them on there on the television um, side by side but the Nuevo Chicago against Union match was not shown on Football Paradox YouTube channel which was infuriating because it was actually the best game uh, by a long way of those three kickoffs. it was 2-1 to Union after 20 minutes um, and then Chicago came back into it impressively during the second half which I didn't see most of because by that point the first half of River Plate versus Kilbess had started um, but well done to Chicago and Union for providing a decent match between two of the as we said earlier promoted sides uh, I'm trying to work out whether anybody any sides have really stood out after these first two matches in, in both rounds of games we've got a couple of time, of teams with uh, maximum points obviously Boca Vélez Estudiantes most Sorry, of, most of points yes. and Rosario Central maybe they stood out I mean they beat Racing so maybe yeah true um, Rosario Central Tigre was a confusing match not confusing but uh, uh, perhaps not uh, would we best not to end that match because of uh, Alfaro getting hit by by a, I don't, a, a bottle or I don't know what uh, well something, something yeah something like a bottle to top or head. a lighter maybe or, but he had blood coming from his and, head and referee Diego Sebastios uh, asked him if the match had to be continued or not so that's strange uh, and Alfaro so said no don't stop the game for one idiot which was um, on the one hand okay fair play to him but on the other he should have said yes, yes. <laughs> I mean the game should have been stopped it shouldn't have been Alfaro's call um, particularly as Rosario Central scored their winner in the 12th minute of stoppage time mm. <laughs> the 12th minute? well they, well, they had to have the time because of Alfaro and there were a lot of players in offside and that was uh, everything a bit uh, weird and simultaneously to that, and in fact it was only after the stoppage that all the goals came as well, because um, Shemar, Yemar, he's Colombian, so he's Yemar, uh, Gomez Andrade scored the own, own goal to open the scoring for Tigre, uh, within about a minute of the game restarting, if I remember rightly, and then Franco Niel equalised almost straight away. Um, at the same time as that was as that match was happening, we had a power cut in Bahia Blanca, uh, which meant that the first half of Olimpo versus the Racing took just over an hour to complete, if not longer, in fact, the, the lights must have been out for about half an hour in that match. And it carried on the game. We, there was a game with Huracan last year um, where we had a power cut um, and they just decided to cancel the game. I can't remember who it was against. Was it being shown on Football Paradox? I think it was. Really? I think they it was. It. About ten minutes into the game, we had a couple of power cuts, and then they decided, "No, this is this is just loopy," and we all went home. <laughs> when was it rescheduled for? Two days later. I can't remember. Supposedly, I, I heard somebody say at the the Super no, Classico. No, two days later. It was a while later. Yeah, because I heard somebody say that the rain-soaked Super Classico. Um, that if they'd called it off, then it would have had to be rescheduled for within forty-eight hours for some reason. Maybe to the police, maybe. maybe television or the police thing, yeah. yeah. Um, which was a, a worry at the time, obviously, because the weather wasn't forecast to stop <laughs> for a good long while. Although in the end, it did. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was uh, that was basically the only thing that happened as well in Olympo versus Racing because there were no goals scored and it was otherwise a fairly dull match. Uh, other talking points, gents? I suppose Atletico de Rafael are falling to pieces in the opening half hour or so. Estudiantes have just scored a goal, by the way. Uh, we are recording during their group stage Copa Libertadores match at home to Barcelona. That's Barcelona de Guayaquil, not Barcelona de Barcelona. Um, 
And they've just gone one enough after 16 minutes. It looks like Guido Carriche has scored it, so well done him. Surprise, surprise. Um, Atletico de Rafaela with 3-0 down at home to Banfield after 36 minutes uh, in what was a just chaotic performance. They were 1-0 down after a minute. But um, they, they were a disaster, a complete disaster, but uh, Banfield scored all, the, all together the goals that uh, last tournament we, we, we talked about. They, they are good uh, intention of play, and but goal. yes, poor finishing. Yeah, and in this case, they were just brilliant in, in, in all aspects, uh, um, especially Bertolo, who was looked by River and uh, among other teams. And yes, was just the first minute of play. Uh, I think Bertolo did a very good play, and, and uh, no, Franco, uh, no, Franco, not Nair uh, finished the, the play to, to score the first goal in the first minute. So that was, I think, the beginning of, of everything. And talking about Atletico falling apart early on, we also have to mention Arsenal. When you talk about defensive lapses, Huracan benefited from one, didn't they, on Saturday? I didn't see the. I only saw the second half. You've not seen the goal. I've not seen the goal. Oh, the goal was magnificent. The goal involved Arsenal's goalkeeper, Andrade. Thank you, Esteban Andrade. Um, Andrade. Well done, Andrade. Peter. Andrade. Yeah. Thank you, Peter and Andres. Um, basically taking about five minutes to clear the ball out of his box and then when he did he kicked it straight to Ramon Avila who was just standing on the penalty box she's good completely at doing. unmarked and, and pass it into a completely unmarked net because uh, the goalkeeper was out in the right back position it was, was it as bad as the Venezuela keepers uh, error last night as well that was pretty that was pretty uh, it was pretty it was, I think it was worse now it was he had so yeah. long <laughs> to get rid of it like he took a touch then went to have like a run out then came took another touch and Classic, was it a classic blooper tape? Uh, it was, you know, he was clearly thinking carefully about what he was going to do and then just sort of looked up and passed it straight to Avila. Um, Arsenal did hit the bar in the second half, though. We got away with that. You see, these, these are the, the insights that we need. From <laughs> these are the expert the insights. <laughs> because I didn't see it because I was watching Estudiantes versus Godoy Cruz instead. Um, it's also worth noting, though, with that win after last week when we were saying I think there was only two wins from the newly promoted 10 mm. sides. Ulican's win this weekend was the only team to win. Were they? Yeah. Oh, you're right, yeah, because uh, the others... The others there was lots of matches where they met each other and they were all finished it, uh, draw, in draws. Yeah. So, um, Temple lost to Boca. Yeah. Very good point, Peter. Aldo Civi lost to Newells. Aldo Civi Newells, by the way, um, was the match that I paid the least attention to of those three Sunday 5 o'clock kickoffs, And from what I could make out on Twitter, I decided correctly there if that makes any sense it was a good decision on my part um, because it appears to have been possibly the worst match of football ever played Newell's managed I think two shots on target to Aldo Civi something like eight uh, but managed to win it 1-0 thanks to a wonderful piece of play and I have seen the goal so it was wonderful uh, from Victor Figueroa to set up Maxi, Lop- uh, Maxi Lopez no Maxi Rodriguez uh, for a simple finish is he not retired yet? no he's still going strong at 35 um, I'm worrying for, worrying Leaf Newells and still think they're so dependent on him because yeah. last in the transition he scored a lot of their goals and this season well, this is second already scored against Independiente yeah. and he scored again on the weekend I we mentioned this in passing um, in, in the preview episode a couple of weeks ago but I just wanted to come back on this because now we've had two matches in a row where Newells okay won one and lost one but in both of them they've looked fairly uninspiring and we talked 
a little bit before the season started about how they'd gone back to Americo Gachego as manager after this supposed kind of keeping this philosophy of having younger managers, having managers who were in thinking with the club, trying to do a Barcelona basically and, and have some progression between bosses. And obviously after the last guy, can't remember his name. Um, Bertie. Yeah, Bertie, yes. Yes, that Russia was. wasn't there. Previous one, you mean? Wasn't there somebody after Bertie as well? That's what I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Bertie was let go maybe four, or five Bertie, games to go before the end of last year, and then someone else. But after the last couple, anyway, Bertie and then the other guy didn't um, uh, hit the right level. Lorente, no, they've gone. He was caretaker at one point, I think. Yeah, uh, but they've gone straight back to to Gashego, to one of these old boys who. And it was very long-term listeners will remember Mystic, uh, Australian Dan um, complaining about this on a number of occasions, about this, this old boys clique in Argentine football management of these ancient managers who just seem to sort of hang around and get jobs when one of their old teams needs them. Um, and I know, I saw somebody on Twitter during the Newell's match saying that it wasn't anybody connected with Hannah Pod, uh, saying that they gave uh, Gashego maybe up until the 8th or ninth round. And so far, I've not seen anything to to contradict that. I, I I can't work out why they went back to, or at least I can work out. But I'm kind of disappointed because they appear to be one of the clubs who are being a bit more progressive than that. They've got Vélez uh, at home this weekend, which two years ago would have been the defining fixture of the championship. You know, now it's just like, well, this is. I I think it's not casual that, uh, for example, Ángel Capa has announced some time ago he will retire from football. Same as Alfio Basile, Coco Basile, Reinaldo Merlo, Carlos Merlo, Mostaza Merlo has been fired. Sorry. Alfio Basile has announced his retirement. Yes. When did he do that? In an interview. Why did he think anyone was going to notice? <laughs> he, he was like, uh, well, officially announcing that he will not uh, uh, manage any, any other team or be coach of any other team. Uh, we, we already knew that, but he, he said that he will be manager anymore or, or coach anymore. Same as well, I think Merlo, I don't know where he will be uh, available to, 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 to be coach. Uh, and uh, now Gallego, I think, is the last one of, of a serio, series of, of, of old matches, uh, all the coaches. Or, or Yeah, can we think of any others who are currently managing? I don't think we can. I think you're right, yeah, Gashego's possibly the last one. Of, of a series of, well, uh, old, uh, old managers that uh, are, are still in activity. It's interesting that you men- mentioned Kappa, yes. from my completely unbiased viewpoint. Well, yes. Obviously, he's a fantastic... <laughs> the tiki tiki, the father of the tiki tiki. Fantastic well. coach. I suppose to him that... Oh, he's, I, I would say that Kappa, whilst he's of the same generation as the guys that the other guys Andres has talked about, is possibly not really quite the same uh, yeah. symptom let's say, of clubs constantly going back. He, he clearly got his jobs for, for different reasons. Um, but he, I spoke to him not, not that long ago, he said he was, ne- he was never going to come back to Argentine football. I mean, I suppose it would have to be an unbelievable offer for him to return. He just said he just was not interested in working in Argentina. He, he found a, a specific team in, in, in a specific time, like Huracan with the Federico Pastore and company, uh-huh. which he, he was like in love with the players, the players were in love with him. And, and he built something spectacular that couldn't be celebrated with a title, but yes, it was 
and I, it couldn't be replicated in other, in other, in, no, you know, it, it couldn't be at river or. Yes, in fact, uh, he he said he will re will remember his uh, work at River Plate because he was very few, uh, not not a lot of time, and compare that with Huracan when he found the place where he was like, uh, he he was motivated with the, the players he had and the team and that, uh, and well, uh, he. There was only a match from the title and they couldn't achieve it, but no, it's, it's a pity because he was really, really good the way he played. And, and it's interesting what you said at the beginning of the, of the podcast about the 30-team league being a monster. You know, that's just one of the examples of, you know, why Kappa said he would never come back to Argentina. He's just fed up of all the, all the nonsense that surrounds the domestic game. Yeah, he's. I think uh, ha, if he's, an, he's an old man now. He doesn't. But if you ask him, he will. He will say the same, or will think the same way. Martino does. That he he said a lot of times. Now he's the coach of national yeah, team. Martino, that yeah, Martino. Yeah. That Argentine football is sucks, and, and in terms of organization and and cup, I think he, he thinks the same way. But then, if the national team post opened up, you know, he would probably accept it. Not that it would for Kappa. No, that would be an interesting appointment. I think it's fair to say Angel Kappa being made Argentina manager. Could be fun to watch, but um, not convinced it would necessarily help them out very much with all of the respect in the world for him. Um, whilst we're talking about managers and perhaps managers who aren't quite in the right job at the right time, Peter, Independiente. Yeah, well, I think this weekend was probably the first example of what I said in the preview episode of... Um, as soon as things go badly for Independiente, the, the fans are going to um, voice their displeasure with, with Jorge Alvaron. And the the last-minute draw at home to Sarmiento was, was certainly that, where a win was expected or demanded. This was a match... Um, sorry to interrupt. This was a match in which Independiente were... It was a, not the best match, first of all. Independiente were... The better side, I would say, but not by anywhere near as much as they should have been, given the, the gap in quality between the teams. Uh, and San Miento took a very late lead with seven minutes to go through Hector Cuevas, the, the same guy who scored against River the previous weekend. Uh, and Independiente needed a stoppage time equaliser from, Ma is it Matias Pizarro? Yeah, um, very well taken, but it was, uh, there was an air of more fortune about the result than there should have been. Yeah, exactly, which is why, obviously, the fans are unhappy and 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 why obviously it was going to be directed at Almiron which we saw during the summer in the friendlies as soon as Independiente they lost against uh, as soon as they went behind really against uh, River and against Racing mm. the the fans turned on on Almiron and that I think in, in part is down to the the treatment of Daniel Montenegro um uh, and to some extent, maybe just on a personal level, um, not not really liking Alderman, but certainly the result is is not good enough, and it wasn't a good performance. Why don't Independiente fans like Alderman? Because he brought you up last year, and then in, during the transition, you had a decent campaign, fourth place. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not above Boca. Yeah, I'm not at all uh, someone who is is largely against. And to be honest, other than you know, perhaps the the treatment of Montenegro being a factor. 
I'm, I would look at it like that. Pragmatically, I mean, last season we overachieved, if anything, for it. Okay, maybe not when you look at Independiente, one of the big five, but in terms of it being a first season back in the Primera, up until the penultimate weekend, we still had a chance of winning the title. Um, so I, I would look at it that way. But yeah, it certainly doesn't have a good relation with the fans. No. And regarding Montenegro, we have to uh, give a hand of pot update here because last week when we recorded, we gave you the news that Daniel Montenegro last Thursday was going to rescind his contract with Independiente and sign on a free transfer for Nueva Chicago. Um, For some reason, that turned out to not be what happened. What is this reason? Jonathan, um, our man in Parque Patricios, is now going to tell us exactly what happened last Thursday. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely no idea. Um, All I can say is everyone's very happy about it. Well, uh, not everyone. Everyone at Oracan is Everyone at Oracan is very happy about it. Um, obviously, he was, um, as they say here, Nacion Huracan. He was he came out of Huracan. Um, so the fans are happy about it. The big problem for Huracan now is, um, can he and Patricio Toranzo play together in the same team? Uh, that's, the, that's the underlying question. I don't see why not. You can make the argument that two talented players should be able to play together whenever, right? I mean, it's happened so many times in football history. Who could possibly imagine it? Some players, when they are old, they say that they must be down to to, to look for the ball because if they are strikers, perhaps the ball won't uh, arrive to them uh, or they won't be in in touch with the ball. Uh, And in this case, Toronto plays as a... I know it's enganche, but something something similar as an enganche. And Montenegro uh, could play as a striker, but not in at, at, his, at his age, I think. So that would be a problem for 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 Apuzzo, uh, the coach, uh, because uh, Montenegro went especially speci- because he he he's a, f- a fan of Huracan, yeah, and, and he born born there and that and apart from the uh, that. He was up, up, up in, in, on the point of, of going to New Chicago, and finally he decided to, to go to Rakan. Uh, I don't know if he's so sure that they can play together. If they, if if Montenegro, as I think, uh, needed to go uh, more to the midfield and not uh, play as a striker, because he could play in both positions, but not. I don't know if at at his age could could be able to do it. Mm. Yes, sir. I think they did play very briefly together when Montenegro came on. I don't know if Taranto was on the pitch or not. Um, I have a feeling it was. Let's check that because he made his debut last night on Tuesday evening when Huracan uh, played their first home match in the group stage of the Libertadores against Mineros of Venezuela, as Jonathan mentioned in passing earlier, referring to the, the goalkeeper's cock-up. Um, it was an entertaining game. Huracan probably should have won it, but didn't. It ended in a 2-2 draw, and there was one point, just after Montenegro came on, in fact, when there was a very lively um, exchange of warning shots, let's call it. Uh, I think it was still 1-1 at the time, and Mineros hit the crossbar twice in the space of about five seconds, and then Montenegro went up the other end and hit the bar himself from just outside the box about a minute later. Um, So a decent start for Montenegro, if nothing else. Yeah, he had if, he, he had he, he had his twenty five minutes. I mean, we'd hope that he will to play more than twenty five minutes. 
um, in in the future. But at the moment, it's clear that he's not he's not fit. He won the decisive penalty as well, didn't he? Did he win the penalty? I think he I did. Think yeah. He did, yeah. Uh, let's see. It was a long way away from the popular to the other end of the pitch. It was a long way, and I need glasses. But if you say it was Montenegro, I, I, I believe did, yeah. you. Montenegro went came on seventeen minutes into the second half, and Toranzo left the pitch thirty four minutes into the second half. So yeah, they had about seventeen or eighteen minutes on the pitch together. Um, the fact that we've just had to go back and check that against the. Uh, the stats from last night suggest that we can't actually tell you, dear listeners, how well they played together. <laughs> um, but they certainly attempted to, and they didn't lose. So I don't know. Um, yeah, we didn't, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't lose. Um, you know, the fans were clamouring for Montenegro. Obviously, they were excited to see him. And um, the people I was speaking to on the on the terraces thought that maybe Taranto will be ousted and that Montenegro will will be his replacement, basically. Mm. Short-term replacement, he's 36, but maybe that would be the way things go this season. Would it not make sense that a club, Orakan's, um, I don't want to say Orakan's size, but a, a, a club... Massive. A club, well, <laughs> precisely, yeah, because they're the, the, the sixth big club, or at least the seventh big club, if you do allow Belles to, to make the argument or whatever, but they're, they're a big club. Um, so I'm not saying Orakan's size institutionally, but a club with the recent playing level of Orakan, they've obviously only just been promoted back up to the top flight, um, they've not got the biggest squad. Would it not make sense maybe to use that as a chance to rotate Montenegro and Toranzo around the league and the Libertadores? They've got the Libertadores group stage, and we were saying a couple of weeks ago, I don't know whether you agree, John, um, that given the group that we're kind of got, they've got a decent chance of getting out of it if they can. Yeah, we should. I mean, know, correct we, a couple of the defensive errors that they made last night. I mean, we should, you know. Obviously, Brazil is going to be diff- difficult. Mm. I think we go there on Friday. I think it's as soon as Friday, or at least uh, they play there on the third of March, which is next Tuesday, Tuesday next week. week. So yeah, you'll be. Oh, that's why you've got the Friday game this this uh, this weekend. Obviously, that's going to be difficult. Belo Horizonte, not easy. But no, then, so I mean, if, if you if Ora can't qualify, it'll probably be in second place. But, but then, Su- but then Sucre and um, uh, well, they're not called Sucre, are they? What they actually Universitario. Universitario and. Um, and Mineros, you know, we we expect to qualify. I think the disappointment was to draw at home to to Mineros. You know, not not a great start. We expect to qualify, but the expectations are such now that you know, I, my first the first ever Huracan game I went to was three years ago, like three years ago today basically, and we scraped to draw against Almirante Brown in the in the Nacional B, and. Uh, you know, to think that three years on we'll be playing in the in the you know in the top division, with you know won the Copa Argentina and we're in the Libertadores. You know, a reality check is good from time to time. If only because the Copa Argentina barely existed three years ago. But <laughs> yeah, but Avila is also the historic goal scorer of the Copa Argentina now after last season. Absolutely, yeah. And talking <laughs> of historic goal scorers, uh, Gustavo Bull has had quite a few days. We're going to move on now very slowly to Argentine clubs who've played Copa Libertadores matches since we last recorded. Uh, when last we spoke, Gustavo Bull had just scored a hat-trick for Racing away to another Venezuelan side. Tachira, thank you. Thought it was somewhere for a second. Um, in a five-one, five-nil, five-nil. No, they scored them. Was it five-nil? Where is right, yeah, where five-nil. is Tachira from? They can't be from Caracas. What's from? They're from Tachira. From uh, it's, uh, it's another city apparently in Venezuela. There you I'm go. Pretty sure that's true. Anyway, might have just made <laughs> it up, but no one will notice. Um, 
And now, uh, he, he was disappointing. Oh, 2-0 to Estudiantes. Carrillo's got a second. Uh, 36 minutes gone there in La Plata. Um, he was disappointing on Saturday evening when Racing were held 0-0 by Olimpo in that power cut affected game. I was trying to search for the word there, although Bo did only come on uh, more or less at half-time, basically, for uh, for Carlos Nunez. Who's the Uruguay? He's Uruguayan, isn't he? He's the striker they signed yeah. like, the day before their first match of the year. Um, and he's now got another hat trick in the Copa Libertadores because on Tuesday night, yes, it's Wednesday today. Yep, which means it was on Tuesday night. Uh, they beat Guarani of Paraguay four-one at home, and Gustavo Bull scored three goals. Very good goals, too. Indeed, yeah. Uh, the first one in particular was the kind. Let's say that perfectly illustrates the point that Peter made on last week's Hand of Pod, uh, that a year ago Gustavo Bull simply would not have shot from there. Uh, certainly not that early and probably not from that far out. Um, but he hit it very early after taking a long ball down. And the goalkeeper, Alfredo Aguilar, made an absolute fucking howler. Yeah. Um, it was horrible. Basically saved it and then watched it bounce over him and over the net. I had sympathy for him because, you know, the shot came in very quickly. It's one of those where... It sort of it bounced just before the keeper, but then I saw the replay and I said it was a howler. <laughs> that's that's that day is confidence when the exactly, striker yeah. is is even moments. Yes, even taking into account the fact that it was a goalkeeping howler, it still said a lot about how far balls come. And as I said, it illustrated Peter's point last week perfectly. Um, and that hat trick means that, of course, Gustavo Ball now has six goals in this year's Copa Libertadores. Which means that in two matches, he's already outscored the two joint top scorers of last year's Copa Libertadores, who got five goals apiece. Um, so don't get too excited or anything, but the all-time highest goal scorer uh, in a single Copa Libertadores was River Plate. Uh, oh, bloody hell, I've forgotten his name now. I was just about to go into it. it complete mental blank has come down. Uh, Ralph tweeted it to me last night as well. Let's see whether I can find his... Daniel Onega, of course. Nine, nine goals in two matches. Nine goals in two, and 17 in the 1966 Copa Libertadores overall. Uh, and as Ralph, who is, of course is uh, Mr. Guinness in South America, the Guinness World Records um, Latin American editor, uh, put it to me last night, at this rate, at Bo's current rate, he's going to break Onega's record in the group stage. And then go on from there. Alberto Spencer is going to be sweating in his boots. And if you don't know who Alberto Spencer is, then you either shouldn't be listening to this podcast or you should listen to much more of this podcast. One of the two. He's the all-time Libertadores top scorer. Um, so not bad for Racing. River had a slightly less sorry, successful sorry, but, Copa Libertadores. Uh, before you, oh, go, you go to another subject, I, I think that this will decide Coca for which tournament give more importance to, to the other one because they have only one point. It's, of course, just the beginning of the 30-team tournaments with 29 matches to play, but they have one point out of six, and six out of six in there. Yeah, there are still 84 stages. points to play for in the league. Yes, I know, but, but... I think they made it clear at this initial part of the but season where the priority lies, given that, you know, Milito and then Bo, Bo, both didn't start against Olimpo. Yes, exactly. They struggled yeah. to score goals. He did bring on. And Melito apparently picked up a bit of a niggle in the oh, second right. half last night, which means that uh, he's probably not going to be played at the weekend uh, in Racing's league match, even though they don't have a Libertadores match next week. I think I think their next Libertadores game is in two weeks' yeah. time. 
um, River after that initial 4-1 win over Samiento in which they didn't play particularly well but just sort of moved up through the gears when they needed to have had a rather mixed week they took a high altitude trip to Potosi uh, last week where they took on San Aurora. Jose Aurora sorry yes uh, where they took on San Jose um, and they lost 2-0 in a match that they didn't really deserve to lose but it happens it's altitude on the one hand you look at it and think well there's a chance that those might be the only points for ever drop in that group because it is a very kind group for them let's say uh, and none of their remaining matches are at altitude on the other they're not playing how they wanted to and that same thing happened against Quilmes on Sunday in a match that Marcelo Gachardo called River's worst performance since he became manager Andres mm. would you argue with that? It's hard to analyze it because uh, one of the keys of last year performance on River Plate was defensive, the defensive good uh, skills. And, and in this case, uh, in three matches they received or conceded five goals uh, with particular mistakes, not not as a horrible uh, defensive performance, uh, whole defensive performance, but. They had some particular mistakes, like not being not focused or concentrated, that made it possible for Kilmes to to approach or to achieve a, a, a draw. Do you think, despite the, the magnificent goal from Buonanotte that mm. was really brilliant play, but there were there were a lot of players, River Plate players that didn't do anything to to clear the ball. That was something that particularly last year was. Uh, like they were furious, they they were like uh, uh, biting the, the rival when they had the ball, and in this case, it didn't happen. I think that that's one of the of the of the reasons why River didn't win because Kilmes was comfortable with that yeah. draw. I uh, I personally think that River are going to play themselves back in again. They started the last campaign slowly-ish as well. Um, but do you think, in particular, that Ramiro Funes Mori's place is going to be coming under threat because? <laughs> At the beginning of last season, we had a lot of, of listeners, and obviously Gachado does not listen to Hand of Pod. No? Um, I, I doubt he does anyway. I, I can't say that for certain, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Uh, but we had a lot of listeners writing in and saying, why is Eder Alvarez Balante not in the team anymore? And at the time, there wasn't much of an argument to be made because the guys who were in the team were playing fantastically. Um, but Funes Mori appears to have been just to have lost his sense of positioning slightly I think he's been at fault for a couple of goals he was at fault for a couple of Bocca's goals in that 5-0 in the friendly which obviously was only a friendly but at the same time there were a lot of fingers being pointed at him after yeah and, and the other day against Kilmes he elbowed uh, Joel Carly when they jumped to head the ball and referee I think was Rapalini no who was the referee don't remember now uh, or Bigliano Bigliano I think he was the referee was Mauro Bigliano, yeah. Didn't, uh, uh, didn't see that play, in, in, otherwise he would have been sent off. Uh, I think he, he it would be a good uh, uh, match against Belgrano to, uh, to analyse or to see how he responds. And if not, I, I, I don't see bad to include Alvarez Valanta some matches and make uh, Ramiro have a rest. Because I think he, uh, even when River Plate won the Copa Sudamericana and Recopa, I think he was like with a lot of confidence. Mm. And in that case, I think he is sometimes he's not good for a player when he's like with 
uh, too much confidence, I think, a, a lot of confidence, and, and that makes you perhaps do things that, uh, for example, not to be that concentrated, and the way that he will be when he has not that uh, confidence. So I, I think that uh, in this case, I, I, I will wait and see how he plays against Belgrano, for example, yeah. and, 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 and evaluate if Alvarez Valanta is in good uh, form to, to to put him into the team. I I, I, cons I agree with that, with Alvarez yeah. Valanta. If there's one match, obviously, that River players particularly should be well focused for, then it's a match against Belgrano, uh, given that it is a massive grudge match, of course, since 2011. Yeah. Um, so from that point of view, although it's not a classic, it's, it's basically, I guess, uh, for River in their recent history, potentially the next best thing. Claudio Perez. If, you, if you're a River player and you can't get up for that match, then... And Claudio Perez to... being back to Belgrano, having uh, went back to Belgrano when he was... Uh, played for Boca and, mm. and they they told him with very very f uh, few days to the beginning of the tournament that he wouldn't be taken into account so that he came back to Belgrano uh, and he had been talking about River uh, like Boca River was not anymore a super classico anymore and, and of course uh, mocking on River when 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 they won uh, the, the playoff against River in 2011 so yes, it will be, I think, a, a, a spicy match. Indeed, it will. Lovely word, spicy. Yeah. Spicy or or. or In spite hot. of the fact that Picante Pereira <laughs> is not going to be involved, of course, because he's gone to Ecuador, where he's doing quite well. I think he's scored a goal or two in the Libertadores last week. Um, yeah. And, uh, anyone else? Of, of, uh, she's also scoring goals in Mexico. Is he? Yeah. Veracruz, I think, where he's playing. Sounds familiar. With the ex River player, Vichalba. The young lad. Daniel Vichalba. Yeah. Yes, ex River and uh, Argentinos as well. Um, of the other title challenges, let's say, the pre season title challenges, Lanus were held 0 0 at home to Belgrano in a match that I think it's fair to say Lanus was slightly unfortunate to, to not win because they hit the woodwork three times. Um, Lanus have looked alright to me. I think that. Similar really to what we said to, about River at the beginning of the season, they've managed to maintain most of their core. Obviously, they lost uh, Marquesine, the goalkeeper, and also uh, their centre back, Bragieri. No, no, Bragieri is still there. It's the one of the other ones. Both went to Mexico, but they replaced Marquesine with Monetti, which is, is about the best um, signing that they could possibly have made for goalkeeper, really. Um, and although they, they were only. They drew that one one nil nil. They've only scored once in two matches. I've been quietly impressed with how they're playing. They just seem to be kind of keeping along the same lines. But obviously, they need a step up really from last season because last season, when the going got tough, Lanús got going um, in the bad way, not the the positive way, um, and kind of fell out of the title race. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And apart from that, title chasers, Vélez maybe? Do we think? They have, we were very, very underwhelmed by them before the season, but they've won two matches out of two, and they've not looked entirely shit. Yeah, but they also had the kindest draw two home games against newly promoted sides to begin the championship. Both in Linares. I mean, yeah. if you're going to ask for any draw, <laughs> that would be it. And, and yet, they came through. They didn't like 
sweep them aside. So, I mean, I think it's a bit early to say, oh, well, as a back as title contenders. And yet their president always claims that the AFA never get do them any favours. And speaking of which, in that case, Peter, applying your logic and reversing it, Tigre have to be title contenders because they've started off with two away games, both a fair distance away from Buenos Aires. One of them on the very tough, if not impossible, to actually play football pitch on um, of Crucero del Norte. And the other, a very narrow loss, as we mentioned earlier, to Rosario Central by two goals to one when they probably didn't deserve to. So are we saying Tigre and Eldon for the title? No, they lost, basically. Well, they drew one. Well, they, they've got a point from two matches. But there is, as I say, there are still 84 points to play for. They drew against a bus company in the... And they've got at least one more home game than anybody else in the league now to go. Right? How can this possibly go wrong? No. No takers for that? Okay, then. Suit yourselves. I'm going to lump all my life savings on Tigre to win in 2015. I will include Rosario just into the candidates' uh, possible list because uh, they have Marco Ruben back, they have Cesar Delgado back, uh, they have Villagra back. Mm-hmm. And, and well, they don't have any more Paulo Ferrari anymore because he got injured by, uh, how do you say, uh, stepping into a, over a, a stone and he was a. Very, very severely injured. It will be six months out of the of the fields. I'm oh, sorry, he stepped over a stone. Yes, and, and he saw con- the concentration. Uh, the when they were uh, in pre 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 season. Yes. No, no, no. The, when they were ahead of the first match. The ahead of the yes. first match. Um, uh, Estudiantes won by fair matches. Yes, and have looked generally fairly solid and uh, not spectacular. It's not no. liquid football, but it's not. Uh, Awful either, and they they look similar to how they did last season, really, but better, perhaps slightly. No, I um, think we discussed in the preview that they had a, they had a pretty decent summer. Yeah. So they they could be in there. Indeed, as could possibly San Lorenzo. Do we think are they just finding their way back into the the kind of form that they lacked a bit for the second half of last season? They've won enough things in recent in recent seasons. They can have a rest. Says the Oricount fan. <laughs> But uh, on a more serious note, decent 2-1 win away to, to Defensivos DC on Monday night and last week after we recorded on Thursday, sorry we recorded on Wednesday but uh, since we last recorded, uh, they got a 2-1 win away to Danubio having fallen behind. I think, I might be wrong, but I think that's three games in a row they've gone 1-0 down and then come back to win. It is, yeah. Because um, uh, Rius scored for Defensivos DC after 27 seconds on Monday evening. Um, and Franco Musis and Martin Cauterucci came back to, to win it for, for San Lorenzo. Um, I'm just, I, I don't think that they're going to successfully defend the Libertadores, but I think they're going to be there or thereabouts, at least if they can maintain more or less this level and kind of grow into the championship. But, slightly ridiculously, Edgardo Bowser is actually coming in for plenty of criticism from fans at the moment for being too cautious and for sitting back too much, which, OK, if you don't enjoy the football, fine, but he's one of your first ever Copa Libertadores. Does that I not deserve a little bit I of... I saw patience? a quote from him today that said um, something like, along these lines, there's no beautiful football, there's only good football and bad football. So It tells you... Good football, as in, good football is in winning football and bad yeah. football is in losing football. It tells no. you precisely which side of the Menotti to... to uh, yeah, if you still believe in that dichotomy. But yeah, he's... Well, I don't know what I'm talking about. What's the guy's name? What? 1986 World Cup winning manager. I've forgotten his name. Menottismo in Bilal. Thank you. Why did I say Basile? Bloody hell. Anyway, on that note, we're going to read for our glasses. So I'm going to play some music. 
when we come back from this short musical interlude, we shall answer some Handapod listeners' questions. We're whipping through this week. I don't think there's much else to talk about before getting to questions, is there? Have I forgotten anything? There's 15 matches to labour on. but <laughs> Well, indeed. Yeah, but we're not going to talk about all of those. So, yes, anyway, here we go. We're going to go for some more Fernet, and when we get back, we shall answer some questions. So don't go anywhere. listeners questions straight away first of all we're going to have a very brief discussion about the Copa Argentina because we were just having a quick conversation about it Jonathan um, went to the final of the last one and I had completely forgotten until you said it that you were going to come on the week after and then had to put out for some work related reason I can't remember exactly why work related so as the first person oh no sorry the second person because English Dan of course went to the first one um, between Racing and Boca but how was the, the Copa Argentina final which was played in San Juan right? Played in San Juan at about 7pm on a Wednesday evening between Huracan who are from Buenos Aires and Rosario Central from who are from Rosario yeah. so Central's fans had to do slightly less travel but still had to travel about 800 kilometres and there was a lot more of them you know they they really took the mick out of the Huracan fans because they're well Perhaps they're a bigger team and they have more fans and there was certainly a lot more of them. Um, so the Hurricane fans were, were pleased to win uh, in that respect. Um, I was just saying before when we were refilling our glasses that I thought it was really, you know, so if you could get the time off work and you've got a spare 3,000 pesos. In other words, if you're not Argentine, right? <laughs> if you're not Argentine. But a lot of people seem to make it happen. I'm not sure how, but they do. It's... It's good to get out there into San Juan, these places that you would never go to. Um, and I think there were a few San Juaninos at the game. You know, had it been Boca or River, there would have been plenty more. But I think um, I, we won the we won the Copa, so I'm again I'm biased towards it. You know, I, you know we we came we we came back to the first division as champions. All those rhetorical mm. lines, but trying to pull away from Hurricane, I think it works the Copa Argentina to take to decentralise. Um, Argentine football just a little See, bit that's interesting because we've had our problems with it on hand of pod in the past obviously English Dan went to the final as I said the first one between Boca and Racing which, which Boca ended up winning or rather of the third Copa Argentina because the first two were played in 1969 and 1970 the final of the 1970 one was never played because uh, they forgot um, uh, but, but apart from that we've had our problems such as the time a couple of years ago when River Plate uh, who play in the Estadio Monumental in Belgrano and Defensores de Belgrano who play in a stadium about two blocks away from the Estadio Monumental in Nunez um, got drawn against each other and had to play somewhere in Chaco or somewhere like San Juan or somewhere that was sort of 1600 kilometres away um, that's vaguely ridiculous and you would have thought when in fact uh, I know uh, I'm almost certain that if it had been any club other than River or Boca that match would probably have been played in the Greater Buenos Aires region, um, and so there, there are all these kind of organisational problems with it that hamstring it as a tournament. 
more than maybe it should be, along among which, as Andres has pointed out whilst we were uh, refilling our glasses, is the fact that the 2015 edition of the Copa Argentina, as we mentioned at the time, began uh, during the same week, and I think a couple of days before the final of the last one, which doesn't help people to treat it seriously as a cup, does it? Yeah, yes, it's uh, of course uh, it's it's a good idea to take play, uh, teams to play some other places and, and 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 to open a more competitive stage. But uh, yes, it's not this organization make people to be not aware of of perhaps all the matches because there are a lot of of of, of stages and and uh, uh, they make uh, play. Teams that uh, we won't would have uh, ever known if they won't have played the, this this tournament. But uh, yes, the only the only thing is the poor organization because the the idea of the of the tournament is good. And uh, the other thing is the part of that poor organization, such as the ridiculous venues for some of the matches, comes from the fact that it's not yes. the AFA who are organizing it; it's this tourist company, uh, Santa Ma- Santa Maria, Santa Marta, Santa Monica. Santa Monica, yes. so close on both cases. Um, it, it's them who are organising it in, in order to try and sell tickets to tourist packages across Argentina, um, which is, I suppose, why you shouldn't let one of your sponsors but <laughs> arrange your There matches. are a lot of, of, of venues, so it's Catamarca, San Juan, Chaco perhaps, which are specifically Chaco, it's a province which is agree uh, uh, ideologically with government, mm. national government, so that is easy for them to organize matches. Uh, so they, there aren't a lot of venues. So it, this is like not not fair for perhaps places which would be also glad to, to have these matches and, and they, don't, they, they don't have them. Uh, yes, there's, I think, San Juan perhaps, Catamarca, uh, Chaco, uh, and some other. Two, two or three more, and, and this is it. There are not there aren't all the provinces, which will be good in terms of further make football more even more federal, mm. because it's a good opportunity for for places where people is really crazy for for the teams, and and they will spend money for tickets, and, and perhaps they they don't let uh, that people to to watch the matches. So. Uh, as, as we said, the organization is poor and matches perhaps, or the idea is of, the, of the tournament is good uh, itself. The execution maybe yeah. isn't so great. Sort no, of sums up Argentina, good idea, not so not <laughs> such a great execution. Not a clue what you're talking about, Jonathan. Um, and, uh, and we have players that perhaps can't, well, aren't able to play uh, two or f- matches a week during all the year because I don't know why, because they are doing that uh, and this is not new in Europe they are playing constantly uh, Euro- Europa League uh, Champions League uh, League Cup the tournament which is from season to season from year to year is their long tournaments so uh, here you have players that aren't uh, in a good form perhaps or they aren't used to uh, being so demanded in terms of playing uh, middle of the week and the and the weekend during an yep. extended period of, of time. It must be positive, though, just on a wider note, to have a domestic cup competition. Um, I don't. I have to admit, I don't know about other countries in South America, but, you know, look at Europe. You look at the value teams give to the FA Cups, the Copa del Rey, 
Um, yeah, whilst you know there are people in England who would uh, complain that the FA Cup has become devalued to an extent, it's still much more important than the Copa Peru, let's say, which is actually the second division. If essentially the winners of the Copa Peru get up into the first division, so if you're in the first division, you don't play a domestic cup because that's beneath you or something. It's no, I agree with uh, John. Obviously, we're slightly biased in that we're English and we. Yeah. Grew up with the romance of the cup, which yeah. not everybody in South America has. I'm not even sure whether the Copa Brasil is treated that yeah. seriously. But uh, and teams in Argentina have them, they don't have the money that, for example, as you have mentioned, yet uh, I think a couple of weeks ago uh, about the arrangement in terms of money between tel- t- television and, and 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 the teams in England. And here is. <laughs> There's certainly not quite as much television money in the Argentine First Division as there is in the Premier League. That much we can establish. But here is uh, this new tournament, like Copa Argentina, brings the possibility of to the teams to have more money because if they win it, they are they are have good prices and they don't pay the attention to the to it as as if right you you are lack of have you don't have enough money. Well, you win the Copa Argentina, you will have a bit more. And they don't, they don't look at it that way, for example. No, indeed. Um, we should not get on to listeners' questions, and I won't play any music because you've heard enough of that already uh, for the moment. The first question is from Ian Matheson, who, first of all, he's got a couple, uh, asks, Why is Gonzalo Martinez, River Plate's new signing, nicknamed Piti? Does it mean something else in Spanish? The answer to the second bit, of course, is yes, of course it does. Um, but whilst it's easy to scoff, I don't know what it does mean in Spanish. We do have one name. Interesting that you're using pity with a Y as well. I, assume, I thought it was pity with an I. No, it's P-I-T-Y. Okay. Uh, Andres, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Okay. It has the same, the same nickname as a singer of a rock band, former rock band, which had problems with drugs, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it doesn't mean anything. It, it, does he look anything like this singer? No, or in no, fact, no. does he not look anything does like he because of a can, as we were mentioning last week? That apparently isn't a problem. With no, he, no, no, he's no relative <laughs> and he has no problems with drugs, but that the singer he does. But uh, that's the only thing I can say about the, 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 the nickname, nickname. because. So in short, Gonzalo Martinez is probably nicknamed Pity because he looks nothing like a singer. Yeah. Um, On drugs. Pity. I would love to think that that's how Ulekan having this big in joke of I don't know whether you were, were here or listened to last week's episode, John, but we were discussing the fact that one chop Albina is called one chop because he supposedly looks like Paolo one chop. Is that the reason? I've never known why we're called him one chop it's, it's because he bears a striking physical resemblance to Paolo one chop, and um, well, here's a picture of Ramon Avila, who as as uh, Darren Spherical, who tweeted us during the middle of the week, or rather at the weekend, points out, he actually looks much more like Adam Sandler than Paolo. Yeah. Um, Ian's second question was, Paolo, another Paolo, Paolo Dybala is getting a lot of attention in Europe. Is there any talk of him being called up for the national team? Up to this moment, there no. aren't. only thing I can say is that he has been mentioned to replace, eventually replace, Mauro Icardi, if, if he leaves Inter in June. But, well, that's the only thing. No, not about national team. I think I, I did see Martina just kind of in passing say that he's having a very good tournament. And, yeah. and, and the fact that I think um, Italy are keen on trying to nick him uh, as he hasn't represented Argentina yet. Argentina so, have announced a pre-Copa America friendly against Bolivia. Uh, so we might see Dybala possibly called up for that just to tie him to the shirt I wouldn't 
be that surprised to see him called up pretty soon for that reason, and mm. then maybe fall back out of the squad depending on how things progress. But. Similar to what happened with Icardi, exactly. Fact, enough. Um, so the answer is no, not really, but keep an eye out all the same. Um, Tortius Troll asks, are Racing going to score any league goals or are they just using them all in the Libertadores? Who knows? As we say, Diego Milito was rested at the weekend um, and he's going to be rested again this weekend due to this injury that he picked up on Tuesday night. Um, But it's a bit weird so far, the complete dichotomy. I mean, the fact that they're concentrating on the Libertadores is one thing. But they've scored nine goals in two games in the Libertadores and none in two games in the league, which is a bit weird, particularly given one of those two was at home. Perhaps they are uh, reaching what is sometimes called, uh, I think, as a, as a mistake, a, a, a cup-made team. A team made for cup uh, cups. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it's, they are building this like mystic, which means that they are good on cup matches and they... They put all the effort there and perhaps... I think the problem with that logic is that they just won the league. Like, three months ago. No, I think it's perfectly obvious so far what's happening is that the, the, the league started exactly the same time as the Libertadores. Yeah. They've had a priority to, rightly so probably, to especially now with the long season, they have more time to pick up any points they drop. Mm. And I think Racing are the least, not the least well equipped, but less equipment say River to play two matches a week sure I think River can quite R- easily Racing and maybe at the stage that River were at yeah. six months ago when they just won the league but they didn't have the biggest squad to yeah, rotate th- and I think the thing with, with River's squad is even some of the squad players have actually got quite a lot of experience now playing first team football for River from the, from the last six months and if River were going to play Olimpo in the league or Samiento mm. and, they, and they started up front with I don't know one of uh, Derisi or well if River, want, if River are playing two up front then they can rotate Kamenaki uh, Teo oh, exactly. Mora even injured all and then stuff. Simeone or Boshe who admittedly are possibly a, well Boshe in particular is a level or two but, like, but Simeone but, yeah is a name but still, it's not remember. a bad one to rep so yeah, exactly it's, it's and more, the same with the number 10 with Piscolici you know, can be yeah. done Whereas Rastic, really, it's, it's all about Milito and exactly. the other guy. Bull, that's his name. should have yeah. remembered that, really, because it's arguably Bull and Milito. Rather than and and we have to keep an eye on Brian Fernandez, also former defensive justicia striker, who has been very good yesterday. So mm. we have to see... And Washington Camacho, Camacho yes, as well. Has been Always a great name in South America. Yes. Washington. <laughs> but, uh, well, in Uruguay <laughs> particularly, which yes. is where he's from. So. But I, I think Rastic has a slight advantage... Talking about talking about the uh, playing Copa Libertadores just after ha- be, becoming champions because we have to say that River Plate had won the previous tournaments which gave him right to play this Copa Libertadores mm. but had six months in which well of course they play they won the Copa Sudamericana but they are with the with the all the how to how to say the 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 they are they are self esteem very high because yeah, I think there's to an extent, I, w- I wonder whether some of that difference is also because teams who win the league in the middle of the year then tend to struggle to hang on to players for the rest of the year. And so they're starting the Libertadores with a very different team, which obviously in River's case now isn't the case, but often in, in the past it has been the case. So I think there's, there's something to be said for that, yeah. Uh, JB Boxing Investment, who may or may not have given himself that name in order to get some free advertising, but well, 
read it out anyway. Great um, question. Asks, do you know why the Boca fans hung their banners upside down in the first week of matches? The answer to that is, yes, I do. Um, essentially, Boca's Barra Brava, in particular, not, not the fans so much as the Barra, are having a massive argument with the club directors. Um, and if you ever want a really easy-to-read clue as to when the Barra Brava are having a particularly juicy argument with the club directors, not just at Boca, but anywhere, look out for banners being hung upside down. Basically, it's their way of kind of showing... Is that their, their way of showing things... Uh, showing their disapproval, yeah. Um, I didn't know that. It's really interesting. Indeed. Uh, and Angelisi, Daniel Angelisi, the, the, the president of Boca, he made a, something like... He said that he was like menaced, menaced and he had to change his phone numbers, his... Well, he had to take some measures in order to be more, more yeah, safer because you know he, he was. What this argument is about, Andres? Could be about money. It, it could be. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure. It must have something to do with it. Yeah, I, I think it's it about, sure it's it's about cuts of ticket rights and stuff as well because Boca tried to clamp down on uh, <laughs> tourists, particularly going into La Monera via the Barra, buying tickets off people. Well, is there not also. Some something going on with the fact that the, the banners still split into yes. like, Rafa de Sales. Yeah, there is. And Rafa de Sales was actually uh, leading La Dose apparently at their last home match, which is the match that uh, JB Boxing Investment is talking about. But apparently, Mauro, um, de Seo has a like that admission a, a permit. Of course, he was not allowed to 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 go into the stadium. As far as I am concerned, so he wouldn't be able to to enter into the stadium. Perhaps he he shaves his his mustache or, and or he shaves his head and and he's like or, and, and he has sunglasses and he can get into the Momonera. But uh, as 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 far as I as I know, he he's not led to to get into the Momonera because he has that uh, admission uh, list. He's in that into that admission list, which. Uh, make them uh, not to be allowed to to, to get into mm, into the stadium. I'm, I'm skeptical as that will actually stretch to the head of the. But uh, they, they uh, you know you know how that somehow they are. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. There's no end in sight really to the to the barra. So I mean that's the legacy that Grandona's left behind. Absolutely. Uh, Lawrence Hart has a few questions. Oh, he's got two questions. Sorry. Um, Yes, he has got two. He's, he's tweeted them three times, but he's got two questions. Uh, first of all, he asks, with all the talk of the long grass at Crucero del Norte on the first weekend, <laughs> who would be the John Beck of Argentine football? Um, I have to admit, I'm not sure whether he's... I know that Lawrence is North American, and so I've looked up John Beck, and I'm wondering whether he's talking about the American footballer from the... Which decade is this? Oh, from the, the very recently retired, by the look of it, American footballer, 33 years old, or John Beck, the... English footballer um, of the 1970s and 80s. You were laughing, John, so I'm assuming that you have some idea. No, I was laughing just because I saw the long grass. I don't Uh, know who John Beck is. (laughs) Um, I'm afraid you'll have to be slightly more specific, Lawrence, uh, because (laughs) I'm not aware of... I I don't know who the American footballer is at all, and I can't think... I can't think of anything that John Beck, the footballer, has done. We've got him up on Wikipedia now that involved long grass. Um... Unless he smoked a lot of it or something, he doesn't <laughs> say anything about that. So, 
cryptic question. Oh no, here we are. Okay, there's one in which my eye has just delighted on. He oversaw unorthodox developments. Uh, he remained popular with United. This is uh, which which United is that? This uh, is a very reliable, very reliable source. Uh, fans. He oversaw many unorthodox developments of the club, including the tactical repositioning of the away team dugout. <laughs> Ensuring the grass around the corner area was longer so as to slow the ball down when played in that part of the pitch, and the practice of throwing buckets of cold water over players before a match. Um, who, what, who was who were Crucero playing in that game? Tigre. 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 Yeah. It, w- it was a tactic to. Well, it wasn't a tactic. They've had the pitch like that for years. It's just that nobody really noticed it before they played the flash in the Premier. Okay, I, I, who I, watches I, the lower divisions in Argentina? I just assumed it was, you know, we'll leave the grass long, they won't be able to get the ball down and play. No, no, they've had it like that for absolutely ages and um, it's fair to assume, of course, that they're going to leave it like that for a long time as well. Uh, and I think, as we said last week, that one or two teams in the Premier are going to struggle with it. Um, as for who that would be, uh, I presume he means who is the Crucero del Norte manager. So let's give him a mention. It is. God, I've got to look his name up now because I've forgotten it. <laughs> this is embarrassing, isn't it? It's a name we know as well. It's somebody who's managed teams in. Uh, Gabriel Schurre, former Lanús boss, um, is the current manager of Crucero del Norte, although giving him the credit for the pitch is possibly slightly generous. It's um, They play in Misiones, and Misiones is a, a, an area of both very thick and very kind of lush vegetation generally, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's something to do with the local seed or local breed of grass. Um, there in particular that, that lends itself particularly to having the pitch that way uh, Lawrence's other question is and this one I think is going to be completely bloody impossible to answer who was the last player with direct British ancestry to play in Argentine football I did see that on Twitter before I came here and I, I thought you'd all be prepared for it I wouldn't know, he asked it seven hours ago but honestly I would not know where to go about starting to search for that because the last British in inverted commas club to win the Argentine league were Quilmes in 1910-11 and it's not like you have you know a lot of people here Um, say I'm Spanish or I'm Italian because they're grandparents but from those recent waves of immigration the British immigration was it tends to be a bit quieter and it was all and it was further back as well so direct British ancestry is that it's a tough one. I mean, it wouldn't be entirely surprising if there's one or two hanging around now with maybe one English grandfather or great-grandfather. Perhaps, but yeah. at the same time, it's very difficult to know because they've all got Spanish or Italian names. Um, but as I say, the last British club to play, uh, to, to win the league, were Quilmes. And the next year after that was Racing's first title of the seven in a row that they won in the 1910s. After that, of course, Quilmes became changed from being Kilmes Athletic Club to Kilmes Atletico Club as they are today um, and became an Argentine club uh, so we don't know unfortunately Lawrence sorry, sorry um, but maybe try and have a dig we'll look for next week we'll look for next week Banfield is not at the moment so. Banfield? no he has they, are, they, have, they became champions five years ago and oh, yeah, yeah, no, but they weren't a British club by that point. When you say um, British club, what do you actually mean? You when mean? I say British, it's a good question. Oh, when yeah. I say British club, what I mean is um, that the early champions of the Argentine League were basically the Argentine League was set up by Englishmen. Yeah. It was the Argentine Association Football League, um, and the early champions from 1882 I think the first championship was until nineteen ten or eleven, which whatever it was that Kilmes won theirs, were all. English clubs so they were all clubs in Argentina playing in the Argentine League 
but they were alumni English high yeah, school. Yeah, like Newell's and Rosario, club. I think both were. Exactly, yeah. Club. I mean, they were, yeah. they were clubs who'd been set up by English people who were most of the players, if not all of the players, were either English people or were people with two English parents who were born in Argentina. Right. Um, and they dominated the league until Racing won their first title in, and now I'm thinking 1912, so Kilmes must have been 1911. Um, and after Racing won that title, Racing were the first Criollo uh, club, the first kind of locally bred club formed by Argentines with the grand majority of Argentine players. They were the first Criollo team to win the league. And up to, after, since then, no British club has won the league. Really and so Kilmes, if they did it again today, Kilmes are now an Argentine club because all of their players are Argentine or obviously Uruguayan or wherever, but they're, they're not a British club anymore. Um, and so that's what, what it means in, in terms of talking about the very early history of Argentine football is divided into British and the British era and then the post-British uh, era, I guess. Um, so in terms of the last player, don't know. Sorry. Riquelme. <laughs> that would be quite a discovery, wouldn't it? Or, or, or as, as we... Or as supporters... Uh, obviously, Ironic said it's Verón. Yeah, OK, yeah. Because of, of 2002. Gringo Hainsey. Um... Uh, Darren Paul asks, what's going on with Racing? Is a draw at Olimpo a decent result? Mm-hmm. A draw at Olimpo is not a bad result, but it's not a particularly good one either. Um, I mean, generally for teams, Bahia Blanca's not the easiest place to visit, but nor is it the most difficult. I would say, bef- basically, before the, tra- kind the of transition, it, was, it lost its yeah. kind of reputation yeah, they, they of being they were poorer at home than that difficult. Than the season before, certainly, but... I think most of that question we've already answered. Racing are really, at the moment, focusing on getting through the Libertadores group as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. So far, doing a pretty good job of it, and one suspects that they'll step it up slightly when, they, when that's finished. Uh, Liam Kelly asks, how will news of the 2022 World Cup happening in November, December affect football in Argentina and South America in general? The first thing is, it's not really news yet, because all they've done is confirm that it's a possibility. They've not confirmed that it's going to happen. I was about to say, that's big news, because he must be he must be breaking it on Twitter, Liam Kelly, because I've not... No, I, they were I, talking about it yesterday, John. Yeah. No, but confirmed. But, uh, not well, confirmed. Well, no, precisely, it's, it's nowhere near confirmed. That's it, it's, what I'm um, talking about. It, it's, FIFA have announced that they will look into the possibility, and everybody's jumped on this as saying it's definitely going to happen. Um, if it happened... The Argentine, well, the Argentine league under its current structure, at least, which of course is not going to happen beyond this year, um, wouldn't be affected at all because it'll finish in early November. Um, and then you've got the playoffs afterwards, but they'll probably continue because none of the players are going to be called up. I would suspect that if it did happen that way, Argentine football would just carry on because, as I say, very few of the players are going to be called up for the World Cup. If it was this, if it was this year, then yeah. teams who would lose players to the World Cup, River would have lost Teo and Balanta. Let's take last year's World Cup squads and pretend that it was happening in November, December, just gone, yeah? So Teo and Balanta would have gone from River. Um, it was like four locally-based players, I think. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I'm struggling to... Orion would have been the third goalkeeper for Argentina. Gago. Gago as well. And beyond that, maybe if a couple of Uruguayan strikers got injured, Santiago Silva might have been called up. But, you know, so I don't think the Argentine league would stop. I do think the Copa Sudamericana, they probably have delayed the final for that until, I mean, God knows when, mid-January. <laughs> would have been interesting. But um, beyond that, I think South American football would have adapted because they're not too bothered about the calendar here. They regularly 
delay the Copa Libertadores until after the World Cup or after the Copa America in years that it clashes with that they'll delay the semi-finals so they're they're far more flexible than European football exactly they're not as fussy as Europe I mean this doesn't mean to say that I think at all that the World Cup should be happening in Quetta or in November, December but it wouldn't affect South American football anywhere near as much as it is going to or would do um, European football and those are all the questions which means that the next piece of music you hear is Mystic Sam's theme music. And the next voice that you hear, ladies and gents, is going to be the voice of Mystic Sam coming to you from the ether and telling you what to place all of your bets on this coming weekend in the bumper Frankenstein's Monster Tournament. So don't go anywhere. Oh, is it? Paris. It is. Um, and last week, Mystic Sam got a magnificent, and I'm very proud of this, three out of 15 correct. So here is what to bet everything you've got on this coming weekend. Uh, Godoy Cruz versus Rakan, I think is going to be a draw. Sorry, John. Arsenal de Sarandi against Nueva Chicago, I suspect is going to be an Arsenal win. Chicago have played two newly promoted sides so far. Crucero del Norte against Rosario Central, I think is a draw because of the Crucero del Norte pitch, as we've mentioned already. Tigre against Olimpo, Tigre to get a victory, it's their first home match of 2015, remember. San Lorenzo against San Martín de San Juan, the duel of the Saints. I'm going for San Lorenzo to win it. They've got better Saints. They have, basically, yeah. Better, <laughs> more to the point, better players. Um, <laughs> Union de Santa Fe against Lanús, away victory. Quilmes versus Independiente, I'm going to go for a draw there. Peter's giving me the eye, but after Quilmes' performance on uh, Sunday against the way to River and the fact that they've got home advantage this week, Independiente are the better team, but I think it's going to be a draw. Racing against Tempele, I think Racing will get the victory. That was made before Diego Melito's injury news came in. Boca Juniors versus Atletico de Rafaela. Boca will win that one. Uh, Argentino Juniors against Defensa y Justicia is going to be a draw. Gimnasia versus Estudiantes is the Clásico that we have not bothered to preview this week. There are going to be lots of Clásicos this year. So this yeah, is going to have quite a, a bit where we just completely forget about them <laughs> until I come to Mystic Sam. Um, I think Estudiantes are going to win that one. They've well, they have one in the first round, right? They've got like Cruz against San Martín. Yes. Um, Belgrano versus River Plate. I think it's going to be a River Plate victory. Banfield versus Colón. Banfield win for that one. Sarmiento versus Aldo Civi. Sarmiento to win that one between two of the promoted teams. Newell's Old Boys against Vélez Sarsfield. As I said a couple of years ago, this would have been the standout fixture of the round. I'm going for Vélez to win, though, and Ooh. I don't think it's going to be that good a match. And that's all of them. Does anybody have any particularly strong disagreements with anything I've just said? I just don't remember all the matches. Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's a problem now with 15. By the time you've gone through them, anyone remembers the last one? I remember the first one. Like I think we might struggle in, in Mendoza. I don't th- I'm not sure we'll win. I think I agree with you. No? Mm. We don't have Espinosa. We, we're, we're not that dynamic... Uh, in terms of 
going forward and sort of opening the pitch up a little bit. We're struggling. We need Espinosa back. When's he expected back? I think it's like three. He can have missed a whole of the group stage. Of the it's an isn't it, or something? I can't remember what it was. But. And it looks like we're missing Mark uh, Diaz as well now, the, the goalkeeper, which, is a, which yeah. isn't great. Although, having said, uh, we forgot to mention that, of course, Marcos Diaz had to be subbed off with a left calf injury, I think it was. Yeah, um, which he, you know, he just... On the stroke of half-time. But his replacement, whose name I've forgotten... Giordano or Giovi? Yeah, G- Ma- Matias Giordano. Uh, did fairly well. He was called on a couple of times in the second half. And he made, made, a couple he, of he made himself Peter Schmeichel-esque. Made yeah. himself really big on a couple of occasions. There was nothing he could have done about the penalty. It was hit way up into the top corner, and he didn't give it away because it shouldn't have actually been a penalty. And he didn't commit the foul anyway. There wasn't a foul. Um, yeah, it's still a, it's a, it's a loss for for Huracan Diaz. Mm. You know, it's a commanding presence. You save his penalties as we as we learned in the Copa Argentina final. So. Uh, people are a bit pissed off, really, that he just managed to step on his own ankle and injure himself. Is that what happened? Hadrick. Hadrick. 3-0 to Estudiantes now, and Guido Carrillo has scored all of them. Has that put a few million dollars onto his price tag? A hat-trick. Well, a hat-trick against Barcelona is <laughs> big news, right? Um, Bowie's not happy about this. No. No, he's, he's having his limelight stolen, especially if Carrillo now gets another... Uh, we are going, however, to say goodbye for now and then possibly sit around for another 15 minutes and annoy my girlfriend by not vacating the living room straight away whilst we see whether Carisho can get another. Um, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. We hope that you've enjoyed this latest episode of Hand Up Pod. And just to remind you that uh, alcohol, therefore the reason that I'm sounding so incoherent this evening, has been provided by Argentina Independent, which is a wonderful English-language news source for Argentina and across Latin America. You can listen to it. Listen to it? No, that's us. You can read it entirely free of charge for uh, on argentinaindependent.com. And now I think I'd better just stop talking <laughs> because I'm tripping over my words far too much and they're going to get annoyed with me for sounding drunk while sponsoring, uh, whilst being sponsored by them. Yes, let's just give up. Goodbye uh, from Peter. Goodbye. Goodbye from Andres. Goodbye. Goodbye and please come back soon from John. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>